Welcome to Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Today we continue our sermon series, Waiting for Messiah, exploring the hymns of Advent and Christmas. Today our message is brought to us by our Minister of Worship, Reverend Dr. Garth Baker Fletcher. Join us for the message, Child of Blacklight. Good morning and welcome to worship here at Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. We are very excited today to have our premier sermon by our new minister of worship, the Reverend Dr. Garth Baker Fletcher, who will be bringing us the message later on in the service, so stay tuned for that, called Child of Black Light. Our first scripture is from the 30th Psalm, verses 4 and 5. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his faithful ones, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may linger for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Our next reading is Psalm 139, starting with verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If, my, if I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. And then finally, from Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 5, starting with verse 4. But you, beloved, are not in darkness, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light and children of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness. So then let us not fall asleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who are drunk, get drunk at night. But since we rejoice to the day... Let us be sober and put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Most of you know I was ordained in the American Baptist Church, and Baptists always pray before they preach. So I'm going to pray in a song. I want Jesus to walk with me. I want Jesus to walk with me. While I'm on this pilgrim journey, I want Jesus to walk with me. Lord, may you increase and may I decrease so that your power, your love, your very words would be uttered. Make this time a sacred time. In Jesus' name, amen. At the very first moment of our lives, at that moment of conception, we are formed in darkness. Our mother's womb is dark, but it is sacred. 
For out of that sacred darkness, we are shaped and knitted together. Slowly, all of us develop from a simple cellular being into an ever greater and ever more complex being. And although scientists do not know exactly when we become conscious, we can all agree that whenever that moment is, during the moment where the fetus moves from being a zygote to a fetus and then to an infant inside the mother, we know that the, probably the first awareness that that being has is of mother's heartbeat. Boom, 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 boom. That infant knows because that rhythm, that sound, is one of its first awarenesses. Well, you know, I like that as a musician. I think that's great. Not only is it sound, but it's rhythmic sound. Boom, 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 boom. I like that. But not only the heartbeat. You see, the baby can also hear mother's voice. It can hear father's voice through the porous walls of mama's tummy. We hear the sounds of the outside world when we're even not knowing what those sounds are or where they come from, we, we are aware of them. And new parents, you know, become very conscious about that. We don't like to have fights and arguments around us. You know, if somebody's fighting around a pregnant woman, most folks will say, shh, be quiet. Shh. We do it instinctively, don't we? Because we don't want to mess with that baby's nurturance. My wife and I played classical music. And Karen insisted that I sing to each one of our children, so I would reach over in my baby's tummy, and I would sing. And so when they emerged, they knew Mama's heartbeat and Mama's voice, and unfortunately for our kids, they knew Daddy's voice too. <laughs> so why? Why do we typically associate darkness with evil or with wrong? That's the problem that I want us to think about today. If darkness is so singular and important to us, why do Christians talk so much about darkness as evil and wrong? And I would submit that there are really just two reasons. One is an ancient fear. It's a primeval thing. It's, it, it, it's that thing that occurs in the darkness of night. From the tropical forests in Africa's Congo to the almost impenetrable Amazon Raymond Forest in South America to the primeval giant tree forests of ancient Europe, our ancestors knew that going into those places at night was a sure and certain way to die. Because in the depths of forests, Predators lurked, ready to pounce on you, ready to feed on your life. Poisonous snakes, all kinds of reptiles and insects. Heck, even, even the plants are dangerous in a rainforest. 
Because you see, all these things could bite you or, or sting you or they could inflict death. And you don't know whether it would just be any kind of death. It could be instantaneous, but it really could just be drawn out and agonizing. So we have from our genes, because you know, the information that happened to them is still in us, in our DNA. So we have this primeval fear of the dark. And you know what? In those days, the setup for darkness came for us genetically. Because what happens to us even now at night when we wake up in the darkness? Our ears perk up. We listen more deeply. Our senses are ignited into overdrive. Our sense of smell heightens. Our eyes actually adjust so that they can see something, even in the darkest of dark. So we can detect what is less dark and what is more dark, and we can see shapes even in the dark. That's how deep that primeval programming is inside of us. We shift into overdrive when it's dark because of danger. But that's easy to say. The second reason is much more difficult. And I would say that the second reason is cultural. Although our nation and world have made giant strides in a leaving obvious, overtly hateful racial discrimination, Western culture was built on racially biased thoughts, ideas, and practices. Even the great Immanuel Kant the one who came up with, no, no, I'm sorry. The one, the one who built on Descartes' idea of because I think I am. And Immanuel Kant made a whole big philosophical system. Well, someone was asking him a question about an eminent African in Africa, in, in Europe. And Immanuel Kant looked and said, well, I mean, after all, how could you believe him? He's so black. You see, the very words black and white carry messages about what is good and what is bad. Martin Luther King followed the fiery example of what at the time people thought was his nemesis, Malcolm X. Because Malcolm X taught himself while he was in prison because he was mentored by someone who said, the only way that you can get educated is to take a dictionary and go from A to Z and learn every single word in it. So what he did was he looked up and contrasted the words black and the words white. And he popularized what I would submit to you as a dictionary test. And you can do it yourself, even on Google. Okay? And in the dictionary test, contrast these two words. Now, I did this just as I was writing this sermon this week. And there are not as many overt things that happen on Google as happened in the Oxford or the Webster dictionary. But the elements are still there. Because when you Google the word black, you will find literally dozens of negative connotations. They include things like burnt, dirty, ugly, sneaky. Vicious. When I say the sentence, 
He was certainly in a black mood. What am I saying? Am I saying it's a good mood? No. In fact, a black mood means he's dangerous, maybe. Right? Even Bible translators of the King James Bible, in the first chapter of Song of Songs, there is a statement by the beautiful young maiden called the Shulamite. And she says, according to King James, I am black, but comely. Or, I'm black, but, but I'm beautiful. And I studied Hebrew when I was in school, and I found out that there was a word, Hebrew word, the. It can either mean and, connecting two parts of a sentence together, or it can disjoin the two sentences and say, but. Well, when the King James scholars looked at the word black next to the word beautiful, they associated, they dissociated the two. They translated it as but. But most of the time, if you read a contemporary translation, they'll say, I am black and beautiful. So even if our translation of the holy word is infected with this thing called racial animus, we have to be wondering what's going on. Now, I know you're asking me, okay, come on. So I'll ask you, what is the one positive, absolute thing that we associate with black? You can call out. What is it? Somebody said it over here. Being in the black, right? Yeah. I mean, every business person will say, and happily say, at the end of the year, I'm in the black. That means that the year in evaluation showed profit rather than loss. But some of my friends did some historical research, and they found out that even this usage of the term emerged during the times of slavery. Because you see, at that time, black-skinned bodies were owned and evaluated as part of one's ledger. So being in the black meant that my situation was good. So it's not just about black ink or red ink, even that. By contrast, by contrast, when one looks up the word white, one of the first things noted about whiteness is that, quote, white is the opposite of black. That's one of the first things that it says. Moral meanings are inferred, like innocence, clean, purity, so forth. As an adjective, the term white implies innocuous or even well-meaning, like when somebody tells a lie. Right? If I say one of those white lies, it's considered polite. I'm, I'm, I might do it for good reasons. You know, sometimes even Christians kind of fall into the white lie thing because we want to be nice. And I was going to tell a story, and I prayed about it, and the Lord said, don't tell that story, so I'm not going to tell that story. <laughs> But I will say that Christians need to be careful about perpetuating this black-white thing in our language. 
Now, I've spent much time on this because in our society, the primeval fear of the dark and fear of black people has been fused. It's been combined. In order for us to move forward, especially as Christians, we must do all we can to separate our primeval fear of darkness that every single human being has, no matter what their race, from black people being somehow tainted with this evil of this primeval thing. See, when I was young, I was what I called, and, and I've spoken to my friends, Ken and Kathy Norad, and I told them, I said, I remember I told Kathy about this just last week, we were having a long talk, and I said, I was one of the first and onlys. And Kathy looked at me and said, what's the first and only? <laughs> I was the first black person that they met, and I was the only black person that they knew. We were a generation of first and onlys, so we were like the one black kid in the whole classroom, you know. We weren't the very first, but we were the first that most people had met. And I faced all kinds of strange things. My teachers, some of them really didn't even want me in the classroom. And so I'd be raising my hand. I was, you know how talkative I am. I, so I hear the teacher. <laughs> and the teacher would look, right, look, and I hear my hand raised. She'd be like, right, she'd be scanning, she'd go to somebody. Sometimes, even, even, if, even if no one raised their hand, she would say, all right, Kathy, what's the answer? <laughs> Kathy would look like, hey, my hand was not up, okay? <laughs> all right. You know, it was, it, it, was, it was that way. And so the kids, of course, they took their cues from their parents, one, but they also took their cues from teachers that were acting out. And I had to fight, name-calling, insults, all kinds of nasty stuff that I won't even get into. But what I will say was that because my mother was an esteemed and well, highly regarded genius of a woman and a veteran educator in the entire area, my mother literally worked out a deal with them. But she told me later on that when I was between second and fifth grade. The poor little principal's office had a whole file cabinet <laughs> of reports. <laughs> you call me a name. And my daddy was Jamaican. And my daddy was as light as my palm. He was, I thought my daddy was white. And my mom, on the other hand, she was darker than I am. So I, I guess now, if I had been raised now, I would, have been, I would have said probably I'm biracial. But in those days, my appearances, they would say I'm a Negro. So you see, I was a troublesome Negro. <laughs> and so I, I struggled from second to third to fourth. But when I reached fifth grade, I had a Jewish immigrant teacher, Mrs. Boehm. I'll never forget her. I will honor her name as long as I have breath. And what Mrs. Boehm looked at, she saw me, and she said, I know what to do with troublesome Garth. So she decided that she was going to set me up to be observed as a leader rather than as a problem. So she made me her assistant. 
She sat here, and my desk was right here. <laughs> and I was getting A's and everything. And all the little kids that called me names, they were getting D's in math and F's in science. And so the one little kid, so she knew who it was. She found out who I fought. She looked at the records. And she said, little Jim. Jim was a football player. He was the nastiest of all. We fought almost every week. Jim, you need to come up here and study math with Garth. He'll help you. Jim and I looked at one another like, you got to be kidding. But I worked with Jim. Mike Daniels. Mike was the most handsome guy. And when he got older, he went from being somewhat handsome to super, super handsome. He was the most. And, and for whatever reason, Mike didn't like me either. I think really it had more to do with his parents than actually me. But he was really having trouble with science and history. So both of them were getting Ds or failing. And when I got finished with them, they had Bs and As. And suddenly I moved from being the problem to the hero. And I went outside you know, during recess, and I was used to sitting in the background watching people play. All of a sudden, Mike and Jim said, come on, let's play football, guy. Come on over here. I said, I don't know football. Well, we'll teach you. I learned football from the very people that persecuted me. Mrs. Baum shifted the dynamic. She was proactive. Now, this, for me, was a miracle. But I want to let you know this sermon is not about racism, but is about how Advent is a time in which we gain a deeper appreciation for how God uses the night time and darkness to prepare us for the coming of the divine light within us. It is no coincidence that we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, the light of God, in the longest, coldest, darkest days. We appreciate the value of light much more when we are deprived of sunlight, our natural source of light. Yet darkness is the very womb of our progress toward becoming children of the light. If you notice up here, on, I've, I've shared a, a um, slide from a friend of mine, Bruce Epperly's book, where he looks at the writings of the great Boston University mystic who was a mentor to Dr. King when he was at Boston University studying for his doctorate, and his name was Howard Thurman. And this is the mystical insight that Howard Thurman had about darkness and light. He said, in the middle of a dark wood when the path is uncertain, if we stand still long enough, our eyes adjust to the darkness and the contours of a pathway home appear. The story of Christmas is like that. It emerges out of darkness. Psalm 35 says, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. During these dark days, you may be weeping, remembering a lost loved one, mourning the loss of a wonderful spouse or a best friend. Some of us may have saddled, be saddled with almost toxic loop of self-recrimination, 
wondering over and over again about how we may have sabotaged ourselves, made such bad choices in our lives that we made our lives more difficult than it needed to be because we were hot-headed or because we were willful or because we didn't respect ways of the word or because we didn't respect the authorities that were over us. But today, we all can look forward to what the American Standard Version translates of this verse that I just mentioned, where it says, weeping may endure for a night, but we raise a shout of joy in the morning. I like that. We don't just feel joyful. We shout it. We get excited about, wow, I'm so glad this night is over. We may weep and wait at life's nighttime, but joy is coming. It's coming. And all we have to do is just wait for it to come. The second point is this. On this third Sunday of Advent, we lit the pink candle. And that pink signifies joy. This is the Sunday of Advent joy, where we realize the power of what the psalmist wrote of in Psalm 139, verses 11 and 12 in particular, where he says, If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Darkness is as light to God. What is this darkness which is light to God? The darkness which is as light to God, I believe, is what we could call creative darkness. Creative darkness is not primeval, it's transformative. It changes us from one state to another state. It is like magic, it's an alchemy where we take all these bad things and, and all of a sudden we find out the mystery of beauty that emerges out of ugliness. It is the mystery of love that emerges at the very point that we're sure hatred will triumph. It is the mystery which even creation itself emerges in what appeared to be in the created universe, nothing. Verse 13 of Psalm 139 makes it clear, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. We weren't created in a bright, dazzling sun. We were created in the mysterious darkness. And that verse lets us know that God is there knitting us together. Today, Advent Sunday 3, we celebrate joy because we have the opportunity to rejoice in that divine, transformative creativity that formed and fashioned all of us in darkness. Our bodies are a miraculous creation. You 
are a miracle. I am a miracle. Our very lives are miracles. So the Christmas miracle is a reminder to all of us to celebrate the miracle that is us. All of us, therefore, are children of God's dark, dare I say, black light. And in the beautiful, warm, nurturing blackness of creation, we were fashioned by God, each of us, a unique and wholly singular instance of God's miraculous creativity. Yes, we are human, and we share biological similarities, but who you are is a miraculous instance of a moment in God's ongoing, eternal, creative act. So finally, my last point is this. As unique instances of God's creativity, we are called to live as children of the light. Children of the light, as we sang in the song, are also children of the day. And according to 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Just as soldiers wear armor, which includes a breastplate and a helmet, our spiritual breastplate in life is our capacity to be faithful as we spread love. The special forces and the SEAL team members that we uplift as being the elite forces. They require a helmet to do their missions. Our mission is to announce the hope of salvation. Our mission is to accept that the creative darkness that birthed us all is also the very thing that unites everyone. Seeing ourselves as gifts of the transformative creative darkness of God's creativity helps us to begin a deeper appreciation of the precious wonder of faith. Seeing ourselves as gifts of creative divine darkness reveals how beautiful love is. We can't see love. It's a mystery of darkness. We can't tell someone what love looks like. We can only do it, express it, and having done so, say that we what? Feel it. Amen? So today, as children of Black Light, I invite you to joyfully and lovingly be faithful and hopeful. Despite the sun going down near 5 p.m. and the long winter's nights, we can live our lives nurturing that inner light that shines continuously within each of us. May God's light burst forth not only within you today, but all around you. May you be light, God's light in every endeavor. As you faithfully love your friends and your family, may you be hopeful and a bringer of joy where there is sorrow. May you be faithful and continue to contend for what is good, even when you're around spiteful, hateful people. I'll say that again, because I know that's a hard one for me to do. 
You know, preachers always preach to themselves first. That's, that's the best sermon. May you be faithful and hopeful when you contend with folk that seem to get on your last chewed up, just about to break, frayed nerve. And I've already chewed up all the rest of them, so I'll say the frayed last nerve. May we be faithful to even that person, that situation. May you rise up from sleep grateful for yet another day to be alive, another day to love, another day to be loving and to be loved. And in the name of Jesus Christ, our light in the darkness, and our Savior and Lord, amen. Remember that you can always find a recording of our service on our website, tumcd.org, on our Facebook page, and the audio is available on our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. And so remember, we are waiting for the Lord in this Sunday of joy. And now receive this benediction. May the God of joy make you holy and the power of the Spirit sustain you until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Prepare the way of the Lord in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope today's service was a blessing to you. Join us every Sunday here on Facebook Live at 11 a.m. Next Sunday, we'll continue our sermon series, Waiting for Messiah, as we explore the hymns of Advent and Christmas. You can always access our services through our website, tumcd.org, our Facebook page, and our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. If you like what you're hearing, you can also support our ministry with your gift through our website, tumcd.org. God bless you in the week ahead. We'll see you Sunday at Trinity United Methodist Church. <laughs>